Okay, let's pray and then we'll read. Lord, um, help us as we come to your word not to be arrogant and prideful and think we can read it and understand it and profit from it without the touch of the Holy Spirit that inspired it. Because we know we can't. Uh, many times, too many times, we've tried to read the word on our own and thought, what does that mean? What can I get out of that? But we remember those times when the Spirit has breathed upon the word that the Spirit inspired and we've been blessed. And we pray that this time will be like that. And uh, that you'd use a wretchedly sinful crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Joshua 3 at verse 1, um, they are east of the Jordan, about to cross. Actually, we'll read about the crossing in this passage. Hear now the word of God. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there should be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before." Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters came down from above, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. 
And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade. This is God's word. It will not fade. It abides forever and forever. Chapter 4 goes on to tell about their taking of stones from the middle of the river and setting up a memorial afterwards uh, so that they would be reminded of how God had miraculously uh, allowed them to cross uh, this uh, river, which was at flood stage. So this is pretty clear at this point in biblical history. Israel is on a journey to the promised land. Uh, It has been described as a land flowing with milk and honey, a good land, a desirable land. It was promised to them by their sovereign warrior God, the divine warrior. He will bring them uh, into Canaan as he brought them by his sovereign warfare against the gods of Egypt. He will bring them into Canaan. Some things were known to them. They know where they're going, and some things were not known to them. What path do we take, and how are we going to get in there? What power will bring us in to defeat these nations? Friends, you and I are on a similar journey. We are headed for the promised land. But the details of our path are largely unknown. To use the words of the last phrase in verse 4, you have not passed this way before. We have not passed this way before as individuals and families. We don't know what our path will be this year. Will we bury loved ones? Will we get COVID? Will we lose our job? Will we get a job? Will the new pastor come? There's much we don't know. We have not passed this way before. It's true this year, and in a sense, it's true every year. And so what do we know? need to know in situations like they were in, in situations like we are in, what do we need to know when we're in this situation where we haven't passed this way before? What can we expect, and what, was, what must we do? So I'm going to draw four, five, five, I think, principles out of this passage that I think will help us to walk in faith this year as they were walking in faith when they crossed the Jordan here, okay? Here's the first one. God is with us as we travel toward the promised land. God is with us. We are not alone. I think I want to begin back in uh, Exodus where God called Moses, then I'll come to Joshua, and then I'll talk to about us on this point. God is with us as we head toward the promised land. God went to Moses in in Exodus chapter 3, and he said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of the bondage in Egypt. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt, in chapter 3, verse 10. In verse 12, so he gives them a call, and along with the call, he gives a promise in verse 12, I will be with you. Moses thinking, hey, I don't want to go out on this limb. God said, I'm out on that limb with you. I will be with you. And he gave him a sign in verse 12, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, 
You shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses is out on the mountain. God is calling him. God's promising him, I'll be with you. And God says, I'll give you a sign. After you've gotten out, you're going to come to this mountain and worship me. And if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, could I have that sign now? <laughs> could, I, could you just send me a sign right now, God, that would let me know that you're with me? But you see, listen carefully, the sign would not be given until after an initial act of faith. The sign would not be given until after an initial act of faith. Fast forward to Joshua. In Joshua chapters 1 and 2 and 3, God calls Joshua, just like he called Moses. Call, promise, sign. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Joshua, I want you to lead my people out. You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Then the promise, same promises to Moses, I will be with you. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. In Joshua 3 at verse 10, the living God is among you. The living God is with you. The living God goes with you. And then he gave him a sign. A sign of his presence with them. And that was the Ark of the Covenant. That's what they're carrying. That's what the priests take down to the river and their feet touch the water and the water recedes. And the Ark of the Covenant is the sign of the presence of God with them. What about you and me? Call? Promise? Sign? Is it the same? Listen to this. Hebrews 3. Holy brothers, you who share a heavenly calling. Well, it's a calling from heaven, yes, but it's a calling to heaven. 1 Peter 5, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Philippians 3, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, our calling, not exactly like the call of Moses and Joshua, but we've been called out of darkness into light. We've been called from, and calling is always from and to. We've been called to. It's a high, holy, heavenly calling. And God's given us promises, just like them, that he will be with us. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, we just celebrated Christmas, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Ephesians, uh, and excuse me, Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he's called us. He's promised to be with us. Has he given us a sign? Yes, the Holy Spirit. We sang about that earlier today in the service. John 14, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And God has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, the word guarantee used there and also used in Ephesians 1 verse 13 or 14, the word guarantee is deposit or down payment. When you bought your house, you had to make a down payment. You had to give earnest money. And the earnest money was to guarantee that you would show up to finish the deal. And if you didn't show up and finish the deal, you forfeited the earnest money. 
The Holy Spirit is the earnest money, the down payment, the promise that God will show up and finish the deal. That's good news, friends. That is good news. That, that God has promised and shown us His promise by this sign, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So you've got this pattern, call, promise, sign. It's true for Moses. It was true for Joshua. It's true for you and me. So God is with us as we head toward the promised land. And there's great comfort in that because in this year as every year, we have not passed this way before. Second point, in journeying this way, we must consecrate ourselves. Verse 5, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. What is it to consecrate? What is it to consecrate? Well, the root meaning is to set apart... Uh, to dedicate. So if you dedicated, if, if, uh, if you dedicated a cemetery, uh, you would set it apart from growing corn or something, uh, to being a place where the remains of people were placed. And, and, and you dedicate it to that purpose. You set it apart. Uh, in the temple, they set things apart from a common to a sacred use for special purposes of worship and thing, things. And, and this, uh, is a reflexive uh, type of, of verb form here. It says, consecrate yourselves. Um, I'm sure that parents wish they could consecrate their children, <laughs> uh, especially on the bad days, right? But you can't do it, right? Why can't, why do we have to consecrate ourselves? Because only we can do that. And that's because ultimately it's a matter of the heart, isn't it? It's a matter of the heart. And, and I can't change your heart. Uh, think about it this way. Um, uh, in, 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 in covenant relationship, think of marriage vows, okay? In one of the parts of traditional marriage vows will go like this. And keep yourself only unto her or him for as long as you both shall live. Right? Keep yourself only unto her or him. For as long as you both shall, shall live. What, what is that saying? Well, I'm setting myself apart from all others for you. And when we consecrate ourselves to God, it's very similar. I'm setting myself apart from all other gods for you. Oh. A good covenant relationship requires that sort of thing. So what will it take to consecrate ourselves? Well, it's a conscious and intentional act, like a wedding, right? And keep yourself only unto her for as long as you both shall live. I do. It's a conscious, intentional act of faith or trust or hope, however you want to describe that. Consecrate yourselves. Cut yourself from all other gods. Worship the God of, of all the earth. It repeatedly uses that phrase through this chapter. The God of all the earth. Put your, all your eggs in this basket, if you will, which takes real faith. I mean, there's a lot of gods around that part of the world in those days. And God said, I want you to put all your eggs in my basket. I want you to consecrate yourselves to me. It will be glorifying for me. 
then it's going to get you into Canaan. <laughs> because when you consecrate yourselves, then I'm going to be with you even more and more. And I'm going to show up in power as the divine warrior. And just as I defeated the gods of Egypt, so I will defeat the gods of Canaan. So, we must remember that God is with us. We must consecrate ourselves. Thirdly, this is pretty obvious, but I want to say it. We must follow God. Verse 3. At the very end of verse 3, he says, uh, well, I'll, I'll take it up in the, say, the beginning of verse 3. He commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Follow it. What does he tell them? To follow God. Follow me. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. He called one, follow me. He called another, follow me. That's what Israel was called to do. Follow God. Follow me out of your bondage. Follow me into the promised land. Paul had a similar... How do we follow God? Well, I want to say, first of all, that the obvious thing in this text is we follow God physically. That's what they were doing. As a matter of fact, when it says, I want to, some of you be wondering about this in the text, in verse 4, there shall be a distance between you and the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits, about 3,000 yards. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Now, many interpreters take that as, don't get too close to the awesomely holy God. And it can be taken that. Many fine interpreters take that. Um, but one that I respect a lot says, you know, I don't think... It, 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 I understand how people get there, he says in so many words. But look, he's saying, look, if God... If you're going to follow, you need to be not too close because you need to see which way things are going. And I think that's what he's talking about. Uh, follow God physically. Paul had to do that. Uh, if you read in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his band are trying to go this way, and the Holy Spirit, it says, prevented them from going that way. And then he got a, 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 a kind of a midnight call, a dream in the middle of the night of a Macedonian saying, come over here to help us. It's called the Macedonian call. It was a physical call. Call, don't go that way, come this way. And he did. Uh, Several months ago, my friend Johnny Johnson was here visiting Sally and me in, uh, from the Czech Republic, and he gave a report on his work. And I still remember the day we had lunch, and uh, I didn't know why he wanted to have lunch. And he said, God's calling me to go to the Czech Republic. I've got to go. And so he went for a decade. Uh, a physical following. The Granberries at Yakima. Uh, Chris is from Birmingham. I knew him a little bit there. And... and he, he followed God physically. Your next pastor will have to follow God physically. I don't think he's already in Newburgh. I think it will take a, a following God physically to get him here, right? Okay. What about you? Are you willing to follow God physically if he wanted to move you? Would you? You say, God wouldn't do that, would he? Well, I don't know. I don't know. He's a surprising God. But not only do we follow God physically, we follow God morally. And, and this relates directly to what I said about consecration above, you know. But it, it's a part of what it means to follow God. Uh, to morally follow God. To obediently follow God. Uh, 
in, in the PCA today, there's some that say that, well, the grace of God means I don't have to strive to be holy because God always smiles at me and God always forgives me and, and, and I don't need to strive to be holy. And grace means that. And I think that's a, a, a mistaken, just to be blunt. I mean, I know it's logical, but let me tell you. I mean, I, I, I just should tell you this. I should have told you this already. I, I, when I was in graduate school at, at, at Notre Dame in, in, in philosophy, I, I, I've, I aced my logic final. I'm not illogical. I'm an engineer. I'm just wired to be logical. But let me tell you, logic will lead you astray. If you start with one part of the scriptures and just start reasoning, it'll lead you astray. Is God sovereign in salvation? Yes. Then I don't need to pray or do evangelism, do I? No. You do need to pray and do evangelism. Well, I can't get my head around that. Well, you don't have to. You just have to be obedient. You have to do what the scriptures say. Okay? So, if God is gracious, do I have to strive to be holy? To use Paul's language in, what, 1 Corinthians 9? Do I have to buffet my body and beat it into subjection? Well, apparently you do. In in Titus 2, in verse 11 and following, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Grace will lead you to obedience. And the people that say grace leads me, they seem to be saying grace frees me up to be disobedient. That's a huge mistake in the Scriptures. So we must follow God. That's the third point. Fourthly, we must remember that God is mighty to save. He is the divine warrior. I've already spoken about this, but I want to make the point because there's something churches need to know about that specifically. I've already said that God as the divine warrior vanquished the gods of Egypt. When you have the ten plagues and, and, and all of that part of, uh, of, uh, of Exodus before uh, they actually go out, uh, that's a contest between the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the gods of Egypt. And it's pretty clear that Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, won that contest. When you come to Joshua, you've got the divine warrior in the conquest of Canaan, crossing the Jordan on dry ground, defeating Jericho in chapter 6, the conquest of southern Canaan in chapter 10, and northern Canaan in chapter 11. What about the church today? What does God as divine warrior mean to us? Well, we're told in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What does that mean? That means the church can count on the divine warrior changing hearts. Can count on the mustard seed growing into a large tree. The kingdom grows. Do we believe that? That the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we act upon that? Do we really remember and believe that God is mighty to say that he is the divine warrior, that he is on our side, that he's with us? When you're going on paths you've not been on before, you've not passed this way before, when you're on those paths, you need to know that the divine warrior is with you, right? Uh, when you were a kid, uh, maybe some of you still are, 
but there was somebody in whose presence you felt safety. Might have been a parent, might have been an uncle, uh, might have been a big friend, <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that, that feeling the presence, the power of the divine warrior committed to his people. Which brings me to our fifth point. We must remember that God is committed to his people by way of covenant. That he's not just committed to his people, that he's covenantally committed to his people. And again, you find this in Moses. God called them out of Egypt. They came to Mount Sinai. God entered into covenant with them at Mount Sinai. In a sense, he married them at Mount Sinai. And there's covenant language here in Joshua uh, as well. Uh, The ark is the Ark of the Covenant. But most of the time in Scripture, the Ark of the Covenant is referred to as the Ark of the Testimony. And the Testimony is the two tablets of Ten Commandments, which were the stipulations of the covenant that God made with Moses at Sinai. The land is the promised land. How does that relate to covenant? Well, we think of, we talk about covenant promises. Well, a part of the covenant promises for them was the covenant land. For us, it's the promised land of heaven. If you say that God is a promise-keeping God, it's just to say that God is a covenant-keeping God. And so, we are to think that God has covenantally committed to his church to be a God unto us. For instance, when we take the Lord's Supper, we will say that the cup represents the blood of the covenant. Yeah, the blood of the covenant. Uh, we saw in Luke chapter 1 that uh, that uh, it, Jesus coming to save was keeping the covenant. Luke 1 verse 72. That in Hebrews, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant in Hebrews 7, the mediator of a new covenant in Hebrews 9. The church is the bride of Christ. The picture at the end of Revelation is uh, the bride of Christ, the holy, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven uh, as a bride adored for her, adorned for her husband. So the finalization of the marriage, the covenant relationship, is at that point. So there are many times in life when we are going. And we feel like, you know, we've not passed this way before. Joshua in this text, for sure. Sally and me, when we moved to Oregon in 18. uh, Me, as I face uh, knee replacement surgery on Tuesday, I've not passed this way before. The search committee all gathered up and they're thinking, we've never done this. we've (laughs) We've never passed this way before. We've never done this. A new pastor will come. Eventually, I don't know when. What are you facing this year? That if I said to you, are you are you going a way that you've never been before? Because see, every year will bring new trials, new blessings, new sorrows, new challenges, new temptations. What do you need to know when you're facing things like that? You need to know that God is for you by way of covenant commitment. Covenant commitment to you. 
You need to know that God promises to be with you every step of the way. You know, we say in, in a marriage service, service, you know, in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrows, for as long as we both shall live. God says, I will be with you in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in trial, in temptation, in victory, in joy, in tears. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yes. God walks with us every step of the way, and He is mighty to save. And so we should consecrate ourselves and trust Jesus and walk with Him and follow His lead. And to use the phrase in Joshua 1, then we will make our way prosperous, and then we will have success. Jesus made a lot in some of his last prayers in John 17, and actually another place uh, there toward the end of John's gospel. And he's praying to his father, and he says, Father, not one has been lost except the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas. Not one has been lost. Don't you love the insurance that comes from that? Not one has been lost. Not one has been lost. And so here's Israel, their only way to the promised land. Sally and I were talking about this, and I said, you know, their shoes didn't wear out the whole way. I mean, that's what it said. God was with them. Mighty to save. I don't know how God might intervene in your life, in my life, in CVP's life this year. I don't know. I know we're going away. We've never been before, and I know that God is with us for his glory, for our joy. Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you that even though we've not been this way before, you are with us. And I pray you will help us in faith to consecrate ourselves to you alone, uh, to give up our false gods, our false hopes, our false trust. I pray, Lord, that you will get glory uh, in our lives individually, in our lives as families, in the life of CVP as a church, and uh, that you will give us joy as we give you glory as we consecrate ourselves to do that for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.